to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. You are joined by your two usual hosts here. You've got Mr. Tom Mallory. Hello. And myself, Josh Hartley, although we were, we were having a chuckle before. The software that we use for recording, Squadcast, lets you put in a little username, and Tom has, of late, because I, I was on his back for not putting anything in it to start with, that it would just be random numbers and characters. Uh, but now of late, he has took uh, a leaf out of Mr. Bart Simpson's uh, book and has uh, started going with the sort of uh, Moe's Tavern prank calls uh, names. So, so do you want to tell us what your name is this week? Uh, it's Oliver Klozoff. Oliver Klozoff? <laughs> hey, <why? laughs> I want to see an Oliver Klozoff. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, I basically... Uh downloaded uh, i was telling you this before i downloaded a, a list of all of bart's prank call names uh some of them don't don't transfer so well in uh in today's modern uh climate so i'll maybe uh i'll maybe skip one or two of them but uh That's fair. <laughs> most of them are, are still uh still pretty good oh man back back when the simpsons was like really good like one of the best tv shows ever good like I miss those. Well, I, I say I miss those days. It's all still there. But. Yeah, yeah. I I remember watching Simpsons when I was a kid, like proper classic Simpsons, and and I did enjoy it. But like, I, th- it's one of these things that I'm like, maybe just just let it end. A bit like Family Guy as well, like and South Park. Like they're all, you know, they all still have their moments, but you don't have to do things forever. I, I, I generally find of the three, South Park's the one that still. Um, it's still going pretty strong, mm-hmm. I think. Like, um, but they're very different to The Simpsons and Family Guy in that they South Park to me is almost like the TV equivalent of like political cartoons that you see in um, newspapers. Whereas yeah. The Simpsons and Family Guy riff a lot on pop culture, and pop culture changes a lot. Yeah. So, like your your pop culture from like your nineties and noughties will become irrelevant eventually. Um, I actually think, uh, yeah, we're no longer a board game podcast at this stage. Uh, I actually think um, Family Guy's aged really badly. I went, yeah. I watched, I've watched a couple of episodes of it not so long ago, and I, it, I, I just didn't find it that funny at all. Yeah, it's like there are these things that are kind of constructs of their time, and like you know, if you go back and, and watch them, it's a bit like like when Friends got added to Netflix. And like a lot of people went back and they were like, I don't understand why this is funny. Like, mm. and and it was trying to explain to people like it was funny because it set the the the, the things that are now commonplace jokes and memes. It set some of those trends in motion. Yeah. So you know you're seeing you are you are sort of exposed now to the evolution of the things that that kind of and that's not to say that Friends introduced comedy, but there were there were certain <laughs> tropes and aspects that it it made mainstream and it made commonplace um but and, and i think family guy and, and simpsons and, and to a lesser degree south park it's a similar kind of thing where you know the the and especially with simpsons and uh, family guy because they tied so heavily into 
popular culture if you weren't exposed to that culture or even if like going back to it it's kind of almost a forgotten era um it, mm. it just doesn't resonate as well like i sometimes find that when i watch stuff and they reference like politicians and, and things like that that like i can barely I, I remember they were a thing but i can't remember why they were a thing anymore uh and then making a joke and i'm like what did that person do and if you have to go and google a joke it's probably not gonna land yeah exactly i, I remember the simpsons making a lot of fun of uh, al gore um yeah. who is obviously still active uh, he's still he's still around, but uh, nowhere near as much as when he was, you know, running for presidency. And uh, yeah. his, uh, uh, yeah, he will eventually disappear into obscurity. But um, Seinfeld's like that. I've been re I, I say rewatching. I didn't really watch it the first time around, so I've been watching Seinfeld on Netflix, and they do riffs on, and it's only because I've seen the films like. There's an episode they did recently that riffs a lot on the film JFK. And obviously, like, that was a film released in the early 90s that I bet, like, not that many people have seen. But it was very popular at the time that that episode was coming out. So, uh, um, although I find Seinfeld has aged pretty well. It's, uh, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Funnily enough, I watched Seinfeld again. I I watched it on Amazon Prime a few years back and I actually rewatched it when it came on Netflix. And I think the the thing with Seinfeld is, it, although they do use some popular culture influences, like the one you referenced there, a lot of their comedy is very much based around the characters. It's character driven, um, yeah. and their interactions with each other, and and that's the same for like Friends to a degree, and, and a few other shows, um, that it's based on on their comedy. That's the thing, like Family Guy, and and to a Simpsons to a degree, the comedy isn't necessarily based on the characters interactions with each other you you drain that well very quickly mm-hmm. um and you know when they've been going on like 30 plus seasons and that like you're you're gonna run out of material um but seinfeld because it's a bit shorter you know i think it's like eight or nine seasons um they kind of make a lot of that and the one thing i really liked about seinfeld actually when i rewatched it and i didn't notice it until i rewatched it is that there's a lot of references to past episodes just and they're they're oh, not yeah. overhyped they're just dropped in it's like yeah you know oh, it's just like that time i did this and like they don't do the family guy like cut away uh but if you've seen it and you remember it you're like oh yeah yeah that, that does make yeah sense. Do I, that. it's just happened in one episode that i've just the, the reference the time that um kramer came up with the idea of a cologne that smells like you've been to the beach yeah. <laughs> and like two seasons later they call back to it which yep. is which is great <laughs> yeah i like callbacks like that you know where they're not they don't focus on mm-hmm. it too much it's just a throwaway because it 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 builds the sort of the real realisticness of the show i suppose that you know the, these things because you would do that you know f- friends mm. joke about things that you know remember that time you fell out your bedroom window or you know you did somewhere else you know yeah. you call back to things people have done whereas in some shows like they don't do that or the the family guy classic is that they cut away to something that has never been previously mentioned and is completely ridiculous mm-hmm. you know it's like peter remember the time i got into a betting duel with the colonel of kfc or something you know it's just random yeah crap that they they call back to that then they show a weird sight gag on <laughs> anyway just, just to well i was just gonna say just to try and tie this in at least loosely to what this podcast is supposed to be about rpg idea that has almost certainly been 
tried and executed by someone else. But it's an RPG where the players are uh, playing characters in a sitcom. And the, the task, the goal is effectively to try and create an episode. And the GM is the director. I mean... I, That's got to be done, right? I mean, you could argue that any role play is that. Like, the way they actually <laughs> pan out. You know, I've I've run Call of Cthulhu games, a cosmic horror that has come out more like a Seinfeld sketch. Uh, oh my I, god, yeah. Um, I've, I've been... I've been uh, party to some of those yeah. games I, I think the unintentional comedy you can get from uh, D&D, Pathfinder, Call of Cthulhu you know anything like that can could sometimes trump uh, a, a sort of planned yeah. uh, skit. I think the problem is you do, if you get a situation like that, so I've actually played uh, and this is actually topical to, to our podcast there years and years ago I went to a convention and it was uh, you basically went in, you chose a category of games, and you got put into it. It's the student nationals, uh, so it's all the role playing clubs from all mm-hmm. the universities all come together in this big sort of event and have a long weekend of gaming. Uh, and you'll basically get put into like you pick a category and you just get slung into that category in a group with a bunch of people. You don't know the session you're going to play. You don't know the character you're going to play. You know, it's all vague. You just know you'll be playing like. D&D or horror or like Wild West or something mm-hmm. like that and I it was my first time going and I chose superheroes because I love superheroes so I went down and sat down to play this game and I can't remember the system but the guy said um, uh, this is my game basically pitched as the premise we were like the B team of superheroes so if you've seen like mystery men uh this is a bit of a callback <laughs> to a film there, yes. there's basically sort of this this ace superhero lineup you know your justice league your avengers whatever uh that were led by this sort of superman uh standing uh and they'd all gone missing uh and mm-hmm. so the government or whoever had, had to call up like the next string of heroes which was our group uh and we got given characters to play and it was pitched as a comedy game so right, it was yeah. it was basically it was basically themed as a mystery manga and it was cringy as hell because everybody was trying to be funny like to, to like not letting it happen organically they were like really pushing like jokes and stuff and i find that you can't force comedy especially if you're not a professional comedian yeah. or writer or something like that and I include myself in this very much so, and it was just the cringiest game, like to play through as people are trying to make jokes. It was like, it was like a really badly written episode of Looney Tunes. is is probably like the closest example if I can give to it. So Tiny Tunes. I liked Tiny Tunes. Like, <laughs> admittedly, I liked Tiny Tunes as a kid, but I did like Tiny Tunes. But it was just, it was bad. It was like. Mm-hmm real real bad um and that that would be my concern with that you, you cannot force a comedic situation like it needs to happen organically i suppose it's yeah it's the classic example of someone playing like a character with high charisma mm-hmm. but like not being able to and it's not, I'm not besmirching like everybody does this but like you know if, if you're playing someone with charisma 20 you're you're unlikely to be a person who possesses charisma 20 in real life so this, it's that this, cutaway where the, the, the GM just goes, and what do you say to persuade this person now that you've rolled that successfully? And it's kind of like, uh... 
So that's that. Very, sorry, you've taken me on to another topic, but it's a it's an interesting point that I've discussed with people before. Mm. It's it's one that I've had come a lot because I've had someone say to me like, uh, "I want to make a persuasion check, right? I want to convince. Let's say I want to convince a guard to let us into the castle, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll go, oh, but my character's charisma twenty, so." I, I don't know how to roleplay a Charisma 20 character, so I just want to roll, and that kind of pees me off. Because on the one hand, you are playing a character, uh, mm-hmm. and you know you are not Charisma 20, if, if you know such a thing existed. Um, and I get that you cannot... Much like I would not ask a wizard to actually tell me the functionality of how a spell works, you yeah. cannot give me an off-the-cuff you know, truly inspiring speech that is going to move me, Tom, as a person to do this. But you can make an attempt to do it. And Mm. I think, like, you need to be realistic with what you are playing. Don't play a a really intelligent character if you aren't willing to make a little bit of effort in, be it learning the world, learning, you know, the, the basic mechanics of how, like, spells work, so that when your character is called upon to to explain that stuff, you can do so in a vaguely intelligent manner. It doesn't need to be, you know, genius level IQ explanations, but just so it edges towards that. It's like, you know, if someone plays the the stupid barbarian, and I've I've seen the the reverse of this, like, oh, I'm a barbarian, I've got intelligence three, and then they'll like because the person playing them is actually quite smart, they'll be like, oh, I know this, the, the, how to solve this issue, I'll, I can solve that riddle. And I'm like, yeah, you can, you can, yeah. Can your intelligence three barbarian solve it? Intelligence three, that's a, it's a it's, bold choice. It's doable. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen intelligence three in pretty much every stat, and it never ends well. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a, a slight uh, tangent, as we are wont to do. Uh, tangent of a tangent of a tangent of a tangent. Yeah, we've not Tan- even got to the main subject matter. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's just uh, that's just my little take on that because it does. It is a bit of a bugbear, man. Play, like, play in your lane. Like, I was mm. you can have kind of like an area that you're strong in and you can sort of branch out and you should branch out from it. But don't branch out too far. Like, don't go to a point that is just beyond what you are capable of. If you're a very shy, retri- retiring person and you want to play a charismatic character, play someone who is, like, very attractive and and has a lot of magnetism but maybe does it in few words and make that very Mm. clear that that's what you're playing don't say i'm charisma 20 and you know he's a wordsmith and not play yeah yeah. anybody who is a a wordsmith so you've got to kind of know your extent if you look at stuff like uh critical role and things like that that's what they do they they will pull on accents that they can already do or Mm. accents that they know within their range for their characters because they know that they can put that onto the character. If they're playing like different things, like be it different um, sexualities or genders or things like that as well, they will get as much information to support that. It's like an actor taking on a role. You learn about the role you're taking on. So yeah, there you go. There's my little, my little tirade. (laughs) Your little, your little Ted talk. Yeah. (laughs) I should do a Ted talk. Well, you did, you effectively did a Ted talk at uh, Tabletop Scotland. I did. uh, 2019 that's true uh, will will happen again at some point next am, year i'm very very wisdomous when it comes to, to D and uh role playing it's like my one strength i really need to find a way to monetize it yeah. 
Uh, mastermind, go mastermind. Oh my have god, your specialist be, subject be Dungeons the, and Dragons. That'd be the worst, man. Though, because it hit you with like the most obscure rules. It'd be like, if a character has a strength of twenty three and is carrying six pots and pans, how many pounds of weight can they still carry? And you're like, the fuck? I don't know. I th- I think the trick, right, to to going on mastermind and picking your specialist subject is to think of a subject. That there's not an awful lot to know about. Think yeah. of something super obscure. And I mean, I'm not talking about the two Ronnie sketch where his specialist subject was <laughs> questions to which the answer is two. <laughs> but uh, but that, that that kind of idea go like, and I don't really know what what I would go for. But like, try and get something where which can be pretty narrow. Yeah. And, that, and obviously that you know a lot about or can research a lot about. I think the problem is with a lot of, we're getting tangential again here. With a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of like culture and media and stuff, especially now because it span out so much. You know, like twenty years ago, you could take something like Coronation Street, and then at least you'd only have the catalogue of Coronation mm. Street to that point. But now you've got another like twenty years on it. The same with like Marvel comics. The same with like horror films, or you know, you'd need to pick some of this kind of not changed. Like it's had a very finite amount of information. I mean, you could it. go and making it topical here. You could pick Squid Game, for example. There's only one season of that out. I don't think they'd let you. Well, yeah, I don't know what the rules of the specialist subject is, but assuming it, anything goes yeah. apart from questions to which the answer is two, um, then I've not seen that. I'm going to have to Google that. Have you? Oh, it's great. I think it's. Too, I'm pretty sure it's two Ronnies. <laughs> like I, I can't mind. But um, yeah, <laughs> nice topical reference for our listeners. There, I'm sure you're all. Hey, two Ronnies is fantastic. I, I love two Ronnies. I was I was raised on two Ronnies because my dad uh, was a massive fan of them. Two Ronnies or Morkman Wise? Are you asking me which is my favorite? Yeah. Wait, wait, uh, wait, two Ronnies. Two Ronnies, good man. I, I, I love Morkman Wise as well, though. I couldn't quite get into Morkman Wise. I think I was a bit too young for them. Right. I think two Ronnies were a bit more accessible at my age my thing for Morecambe and Wise is it makes me think too much of Christmas so like okay. I only I can only really watch them in December that's fair yeah that's fair god they were they're classic comedies man you just don't make them like that anymore yeah yeah it's a it, funny actually that, that that sort of stuff has aged a lot better than some of the stuff that we were talking about that came out in the 90s and noughties bringing it all back around I like a professional. That was very much aimed at being family friendly, though, wasn't it? It was yeah, that era true. of comedy that was like, you know, they'd go like to Blackpool and perform on like the stand and stuff like mm. that. Like, um, yeah, that was that era of British comedy where, like, with the exceptions, uh, a lot. Bernard of them, Manning. Yeah, they were designed to be family family friendly. My dad's met a lot of a lot of those era of comedians because that was when he worked at the the BBC. So, Les Dawson's uh, one of my favourites from that time period. Yeah. But yeah, I think some of his jokes might have aged quite poorly. <laughs> it's one of, one of the few topics of conversation that me and my dad do have is that I'll always ask him about different celebrities that he met back in the mm. day. It's like, did you meet him? Did you meet him? Did you meet Jimmy Savile? You know, like, what age were you when you met Jimmy oh, Savile? No. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, well, my dad worked at the BBC when he was a kid, so yeah, yeah, I, mean, uh, I mind you saying it's a, it's a fair point, anyway. So, for today's episode, 19 <laughs> minutes and 25 seconds in, what we're, we're actually going to talk about, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we did. We had a plan. Like we came into we this did, with a plan. We said this is what we're going to talk about, and then this is great. Though. This is the con- this is con- the content that people tune in for. Sure, this is what you're here for, yeah. right? You don't care about board games. Um, so what we're we're actually going to talk about uh, is uh, complexity in in games. Yes. Um, specifically in the examples we're going to use, we are going to talk about role-playing games, but I think it will relate to... It transfer. To, yeah, it transfers to any element of tabletop gaming, right? And it's, yeah. Well, the big differences between, like, tabletop gaming and video gaming is uh, you don't have to learn all the rules for a video game. <laughs> uh, you, don't, you don't have to be able to program a video game to yeah, play Yeah, exactly. It. I mean, I suppose you could probably play, like, a first-person shooter mechanically... By rolling, probably literally millions of dice, mm-hmm. but um, no, <laughs> no, we're not doing that. So, so it it is it's a barrier to entry, mm-hmm. effectively, uh, for for playing certain games. So we'll we'll start by talking about the sort of recent experience that we've had uh, that kind of got our minds thinking along these lines, and this has been the long-running uh, Pathfinder campaign that Tom has been running. I'm a part of it, among, amongst uh, some, some of our other friends. We had a, a scenario um, this week. We were... Basically, it was, it was that almost the entire session was two combats. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were facing off against some shadows, and it was a named villain, the uh, knight of the... Um, it was the Dead Queen's Protector, and there it we was go, a Nightwalker, which is a type of nightshade. Yeah. Uh, but it was a mythic. I'd, I'd also boosted it to be a mythic creature as well. Yeah. Uh, that combat stressed me out. Uh, uh, I I mean, I, I, threw some, I threw some haymakers at it, but, but it threw some haymakers back at me as well. Um, yeah, we, we very much had a... Uh, a sort of kaiju battle almost in in the the amount of damage that was getting chucked out like you hit it took pretty much half its hit points in in one swing it hit you back in two hits took most of your hit points and then I think I, you hit it twice yeah and took it down. I, I was down to 37 health yeah. and uh, uh bearing in mind my total like when i'm when my barbarian is raging is 226 so that is like the closest to death that I've uh, came so far. <laughs> so I think uh, to give give a bit of context um, for people, just so you kind of know where we're coming from with this, the the party in this game are about level fourteen, fifteen, which is yeah. is I would say the 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 end game tier. You you kind of have in my mind you have sort of level one to six, which is your kind of fledgling adventurers. Uh, you then have sort of six to about thirteen in my my mind. Which is kind of your experienced, capable adventurers, and then like your fourteen plus is kind of your your demigod tier, yeah. Uh, levels of power, and the party are they're sort of creeping into that demigod tier. But on top of that, to make things worse for myself, I've also given the mythic ranks, which I think you have four of at the moment, which add each level adds another stack of abilities uh, on onto that. So mm-hmm. you know they are uh, a bit more. <laughs> bit more complex than they seem on the surface um and then they're they're fighting obviously quite high power ability uh, high powered ability enemies to counteract their Mm -hmm. strength uh so you've got a party of people who are individually running a spreadsheet of a character 
uh, and I on the converse side of it, I'm running several spreadsheets worth of, of enemies. Yeah, and I like I always think like the job of a GM at like the best of times is difficult because you you have to you have to have a very comprehensive understanding of the rules. Mm. Like I I as one of the player characters only really need to know what my character can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the basic rules of the game and you know trust that you know the rest of the party and yourself will keep me right if i if i if i mess something up you on the other hand kind of need to know everything so i i shudder to think at the amount of research and homework you do that goes into each session that you're running at particularly at this stage it's more than I would like and probably less than I should is, is probably the answer to that. <laughs> um, I think what I'm finding for myself, and, and this is maybe a word of warning for other GMs, it's kind of you need to know your comfort level um, mm. and you need to be realistic with yourself and your players about how far your, your campaign is going to go. And we'll come to this in a minute, like different systems are... are you, your mileage may vary um but for me it definitely i am very very comfortable in pathfinder first edition like mm-hmm. i i play in a game of pathfinder first edition and i i fundamentally call gm it like i i play a character but i will basically the, the rule will come up and the gm kind of looks at me and goes tom and i'm like are, are you a backseat gm well i am but it's with permission okay um, that's fine that's fine that's allowed like the gm actually said to me i wouldn't run this if you weren't playing in it because right. it's it, it is a complex game and I, I have a lot of experience in it which makes I would say from level like 1 to 12 I could run in my sleep for mm-hmm. the most part the problem is we aren't level 1 to 12 anymore and I found in that session just for myself more often than I have ever had to I'm like hang on a minute I need to I need to check this rule and there were several times I had to basically pause the game yeah. and read a rule because I had either so many or such complex rules that I needed to make sure we're interacting correctly uh, and I've kind of created a rod for my own back there because some of the mythic stuff interacts in a weird way with other abilities um, and if I'm not 100% on that it can slow it down so I think the, the thing that I would kind of take away from it is obviously know your, your level of, of competency I think the other thing as well is don't add to your workload <laughs> don't use mythic rules they're really cool but my god yeah i, I was actually gonna uh, outright ask you do you regret uh, unlocking that pandora's box no i don't okay uh i love the mythic rule set uh i think it is it makes characters feel very powerful it gives mm-hmm. them some really cool abilities uh it it, it remains one of my favorite uh pathfinder books uh and, and sort of supplements because of what it represents. Mm. That being said, it isn't perfect. Uh, it is can be very busted, uh, which you could. It's one of those ones that you can break characters without really trying. Um, I mean, for example, you, you're chucking out 150 damage on a crit, which is not an uncommon thing for you to get. Uh, which is even on like that creature you were fighting. I think he only had about three hundred odd hit points. Yeah, and he was like in in the CR system, which is level of difficulty. You guys are level fourteen, and he was CR seventeen. So there's like he should be considered a. I think it's a very hard encounter when yeah. they're three higher. And 
with the exception of putting some hurt on you, he didn't really do that much to the rest of the party. Um, no, I, I was a, a, I was a very good distraction barbarian. But there's <laughs> there's there's a lot of stuff I could go into, and I'm not I'm not going to soak up the episode time uh, with it because we've already spent 90 minutes talking about Morecambe and Wise. Uh, but <laughs> you can you kind of need to know um, you know how comfortable you're going to be and and put yourself in the best position. And I think you guys as players are doing really really well, um, mm. and I think the fact that you've even if you haven't necessarily played these characters all the way, you have played Mythic all the way. You know, you've gone from one and you've sort of slowly built up. So even if you're newer to the characters, you still have a an understanding of how Mythic works and mm-hmm. and you know what you need to know, which certainly helps uh, inform anything you do. I think uh, if I were planning a campaign to go into high tier again, so where we are now, which I am doing in my Saturday game. Sure, yeah. I wouldn't include Mythic in it. Uh sure. because it is just it's another level that that makes something that is already tricky to run. And I my heart goes out if if anyone listening to this has run the actual Mythic Pathfinder Adventure Path that goes up to level twenty and Mythic rank ten, you are a god. Like I I doff my hat <laughs> to you if you've run that successfully. Right in that, guys. Right that in must be the... a bitch. Yeah, jeez oh. Um yeah, I like. I, I think that the the reason I thought you, over and above the complexity side of having mythic, it must be frustrating for you as a GM, like in terms of trying to come up with challenges for us as well. Because as you said, that guy should have been a really difficult encounter for us, mm-hmm. and for, for all intents and purposes, I took him down with two hits. Yeah, like, no, it it, it is. It's not even a mythic thing. Like finding appropriate challenges for your players that feel both challenging, nerve-wracking, but without the intent of actually killing them mm-hmm. is probably one of the hardest things you as a GM will do. And and it's it's something I I do get frustrated with because I as I've mentioned on this show before, I'm not a great loser and I don't feel I you don't lose as a GM. If you no. if your monsters get killed, <clears throat> you don't lose anything. But my concern and, and what frustrates me and where that comes into play is I don't want you guys to have a bad experience with it. And I'm like, yeah, of course. if they feel they've just stomped every encounter and there's no challenge, I've failed. That's a failing on my part that I've not made this entertaining enough. I've not made it challenge enough. And, and that frustration that I would normally feel in losing a game is sort of turned inward uh um, oh, yeah not not to get like you know woe is me um uh, <laughs> you know it, it, get, it can get quite frustrating like a, a, another example is my um my other pathfinder game that i run on saturday nights has a very high ac tank in it the mm. the, the cavalier and i cannot hit him for toffee and this is a combination of my very bad dice rolls which i've had since I was born at this point, I think we've co- we've uh, covered this yeah. in previous episodes as well. And so, yes. you know his his high AC, and and again, <clears throat> it, it impacts the encounter challenge for them. And then I come away thinking that's not been a very satisfying encounter for them because there's been no threat, and you need the threat to have the excitement, uh, which can be very frustrating uh, as a as a GM. And I'm sure other GMs will will know this as well. Um, 
the the converse of all of this though and, and one of the things we we mentioned about it is other systems so mm. conversely we both play in uh fifth edition games yeah now fifth edition is in many ways simpler not even many ways in almost every way is is simpler than pathfinder um as a system mm-hmm. and and sometimes i would say that is to its detriment but for the most part it is beneficial and i think that's why fifth edition has been so widely accepted because yeah. it is very accessible you know it's the fun is still there without getting bogged down in the crunch as it's called the details um which is really really positive and to sort of parallel uh this i played in a 20th level D adventure on yeah. sunday night the, high, a, the highest level you can go in that system yeah uh as a one shot so you know that that is uh sort of comparable to level 20 in pathfinder at least in power level mm-hmm. um and i was playing a character that i actually played originally in uh dungeons and dragons third edition yeah uh got him up to like level 17 and then i think we did some like one shots and things and he now he's level 20 and, and the gm said let's do it in fifth edition so we remade the characters so this is a character i've never played in fifth edition it is a class i've played before it was a cleric at least but uh nothing up to like this level uh so you you've got your first session with a level 20 character now i will put money that most people could not do that in pathfinder it would be a nightmare yeah, I I certainly I'm not a good example because I'm not um I'm not a particularly crunchy crunchy kind of guy. That's a weird sentence. You know what I mean though? Like I'm not a detail oriented player. Mm-hmm. Like um I don't I, the one time I went for like I I wouldn't even say it's the most complex class to play either the psyker in in Pathfinder, but it's it's a notch up from what I usually play, and generally speaking, I didn't enjoy it as much. Um, but I certainly couldn't just jump into level 20 no. um, on Pathfinder. I'd feel a lot more confident doing it on 5th um, fifth Ed. Uh, yeah, and, and this was the thing. I, I was playing a caster. Uh, so as a cleric, mm. you've, got, you've got some melee ability, you've got some spell ability, and you've got obviously your class abilities. And I was a bit worried when I was making it. And, and I won't lie, the character did take me a while to make. Uh, I was sure. sure it probably took me a couple of hours to get it all made up properly. Uh, but once I was actually playing it, and we played for about seven hours, because um, we did kind of an all-day thing for the yeah. guy's birthday, it was fairly easy. Like, mm-hmm. I, had a, I had maybe five abilities that I had to just kind of keep in my head. A couple of spells that you know, I knew I was going to come on to, and then I could just look up the others as and when they came up. But compared to, like, playing a similar sort of level character in, even a lower level character in Pathfinder, because, I mean, I played a, a wizard up to, like, level 14 in Pathfinder, and I have a book to run that character from. Like, he has a literal tome that he plays from oh, uh, geez, to yeah. keep track of everything. Um, yeah, it, it's just a... It's a, a very much a shift, and it, it did kind of open my eyes a little bit. Not that it wasn't something I was already aware of, but just to how different D and D is, because you don't have the horrendous number creep. Yeah. You know, at, at level fourteen in Pathfinder, you guys are throwing out like plus twenty, plus thirty. You know, these really big numbers, and your ACs are, are similar. In D and D, my cleric was throwing out like plus twelve, 
mm-hmm. maybe tops. That's um, really good in D and D fifth. Yeah, <laughs> and you know he was like his AC was in like the mid twenties, you know, and and that was fairly capped as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very very eye opening uh, in that regard. Uh, and yeah, maybe the character wasn't as robust uh, and and unique as as they could be in Pathfinder, but you can do a lot of that in in the role play and in the characterization. Sure, I've uh, I mean I've I've played a couple of games of D and like not just the regular one that I'm in with um, with Dave Wright, but like uh, I've played another couple of games. You ran one for us unlucky frog folks uh, what, during lockdown. Um, I've never um, and I understand that's part of the appeal of a game with more complexities you have more choice mm-hmm. um, I've, I've never I've never found 5th edition lacking in enough choice I think there's enough content out there for it that I, I could I could build whatever kind of character I wanted to build if anything actually when I'm when I'm building characters and leveling up in Pathfinder I get a bit of choice paralysis Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I mean, there there are literally if you're if you're using feats in Pathfinder, there are literally thousands, mm-hmm. and like it's like how 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 can I make an informed decision? I can't. Yeah. I can't I'm I'm not going to read through all all of these. <laughs> there is just no way that's happening. Bit of light bedtime reading the book of feats as you just page yeah. through, right? So um, so yeah, but and. and I, I want to make it clear what Tom and I are not saying is Pathfinder bad, D and D good, right? No. That they are just they are they are different and they offer different experiences. And I totally get why people what what attracts people to like the big numbers and uh, all the different choices that Pathfinder offers. Um, I can I can see that. Um, mm-hmm. It's just for me. And like the last couple of sessions that we've been running in Pathfinder is what's really hit it home for me. It's like I'm playing a barbarian, which is one of the simplest, if not the simplest, class to play in that yeah. system. And we're kind of at the sort of top of the yeah, I'm hitting the sort of complexity level that I'm quite I'm happy with. And it's getting into the stage now where I'm like, okay, what 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 does this do? Like it's when I was leveling up, I was thinking to myself. All right, which uh, which rage power am I going to select that I'm going to forget that I have now? Uh, <laughs> like... No, I think that's a fair point, and and you've you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, I I'm not saying that D and D is better than Pathfinder. I don't even necessarily believe that. Um, I I started with Pathfinder, you know, yeah. before fifth edition. Like I started with D and D back in second edition and third back edition. Back in today. Back in today. Uh, but then. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in Pathfinder, and I, I was very invested in it. You know, I ran the society. I've run dozens of different groups of Pathfinder players. Um, it's it's a game that I have a lot of fondness for, despite Paizo's current situation. But that's a different mm. matter altogether. Um, see for see see a couple of episodes back, yeah. guys. <laughs> um, and you know, recently, well, I say recently, during lockdown, I started a new campaign and I chose to run Pathfinder even with 5th edition right there. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's not something that, you know, I I don't think it's still got value. But I think as a player or a GM, you need to assess your priorities. And if you love crunch, if you love just hundreds and hundreds of options 
and you're willing to take everything that that comes with you know the bookkeeping the 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 the, the, the sheer scale of knowledge mm-hmm. that you as a gm may need to have then pathfinder is great uh, and the amount of material available for Pathfinder is, I would argue, almost second to none. Uh, even with you know the fact that they're now doing second edition, mm-hmm. um, because it, it also tied into all of third edition. But then on the the other side of that, you've got fifth edition, which is is a lot simpler, a lot more digestible, a lot more accessible. So if you're coming in it, and this is the recommendation I will make, if you are coming in as a new player. Fifth edition is a hundred percent the game to yeah. go for. If you if you're interested in Pathfinder, great. I'd still start with fifth edition. Sure, because that will give you all the, the foundations, and then you can transition into Pathfinder uh, and everything that comes with it. Um, but yeah, like it's something I think you need to bear in mind, and I think it is something that Paizo have probably taken on board with the second edition Pathfinder, although. To be fair, from some of the stuff I've heard, there are some <laughs> rules in that that are arguably more complex. Yeah. But it's I, I saw a Reddit post yesterday, and it, it made me kind of realize something. Fifth edition has been out for a good period of time now, years. And in all that time, they have only introduced one new class, officially. And that is the Artificer. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same period of time... Pathfinder had introduced about 20. Jeez, oh. So that kind of gives you, and I may be embellishing a bit there, but that gives you an idea. I, of what and it. here's the thing of all those classes that Pathfinder introduced, how many are like more or less the same? Like, well, most of them are hybrid classes. So all yeah. they've done is bashed two together and taken some bits out um, to make them, you know, give them a different name and a slightly different flavor mm-hmm. and some usually broken abilities uh and, and called it a day. <laughs> the, the swashbuckler is tom, is tom, tom rolled his eyes tom yeah. rolled his eyes when i said that because the the swashbuckler is something you keep seeing in D and pathfinder and it's people trying to fix fighter mm-hmm. and in my mind it doesn't need fixing it is not fighter the best should class. be a bit flawed yeah it it the thing is like a lot of people just think fighters a bit boring and mm-hmm. at the higher levels, it does taper out a bit, and it does. But it also gets to be really strong for a really long time. Uh, yeah, it's like, in the, particularly in the early levels, Fighter is a pretty strong class to play, right? Well, it's the classic, you know, you, you go into a dungeon, right? You take your Fighter, your Rogue, your Cleric, and your Wizard in Pathfinder. Yeah. You get halfway around that dungeon, if that, and the Cleric and the Wizard are like, I'm out of spells, boys, I'm, I'm done for yeah. the day. That's me in the fight. It's just like, I could do this I all day. Just, I, yeah, Steve Rogers. <laughs> yep. I can do this all day. It's like, what's wrong with you guys? Let's go. Like, I'm good. And mm-hmm. and that's the thing. The fighter never stops going. And the others do. Uh, yeah. And that's something you've got to kind of balance. Yes, admittedly, at the higher levels, you know, your wizard's literally like shaping the universe. And the guy's like, I've got a sword. And fair play. <laughs> there is a... There is a bit of a a bit of a balance thing there, but but that but I, I always kind of figured that was by design. Yeah, you know, like each class should have offer a very different experience to each player, and it should have its pros and cons. Like yeah. barbarians, a similar thing. Like, albeit, I I I kind of just think barbarians are better, but more narrow fighters. Like 
Fighters yeah. can do a little bit of the other stuff. If you're rolling skill checks as a barbarian, you're kind of doing it wrong. Like <laughs> the the barbarian in Pathfinder, the, the thing they got right was they kept the high damage output, which was always mm. the barbarian's strength. But they added in things like your totems and your rage powers that give you a little something else. Yeah. Whereas the fighter doesn't really get as much of that. They get a little bit with uh, some of their styles and things like that. Mm. Um, but in general, they're still a bit meh. But I like fighters. I played a, a fighter in Pathfinder, and I had, I adored yeah. the character. Like I thought it was super cool. I wouldn't mind having a crack at one next, actually, because I've never done fighter. So, but anyway, the the point I'm making is that you know, like each class should be different. Each class should have pros uh, pros and cons, and maybe that you hit those pros and cons at different level thresholds. And then that's how you get like a different experience each time. Yeah, so. definitely, hundred percent. So you shouldn't try and fix fighter. They're beautiful like as they are. It's beautiful flawed butterfly. You leave yeah. him be. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, we've uh, we've witted on for like forty-five minutes now. Shall we draw this episode to a close? Yeah, let's uh, let's do that. We promise we'll talk about board games next time. <laughs> we promise nothing. I promise nothing. <laughs> anyway, and on that note, thank you very much for listening, guys. And until next time, take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.